This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional. You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of five, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of three, a practicing physician, and blogger on the side. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. This episode is airing in mid-December of 2023. Sarah is going to be interviewing Dr. Vanessa Carroll, who is the CMO of the Mary Bridge Children's Hospital in Washington State. I'm very excited to hear from her about women in medicine and what it takes to be a leader in a hospital system. So Sarah, maybe you can tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I don't want to give any spoilers. It was a really fun conversation. But Dr. Carol has four children and has gone through various different phases of her career. So it was interesting to learn about how leadership can be incorporated at different phases and how different kinds of experiences can kind of come together to give you a new unique expertise that really kind of helps you truly fulfill a leadership vision later on. So that was really fun to learn about. Yeah, because 
for people who are considering leadership roles, and I know we have a ton of listeners who are, it's maybe not something that you have to like come right out of the gate and say, this is what I want to do. Like when I mean, there are different paths into leadership over the course of your career, correct? Yes. And I like to think about how you kind of get various nuggets along the way that might be really useful someday as you kind of help to lead the next generation of people who might be doing something that you were doing, you know, boots on the ground previous to that. So I guess it was just interesting to hear how the different phases of her journey came together. And again, how experiences that you might not know could be contributing to a leadership track could actually come in very handy. So those were my biggest takeaways from the conversation. And I really enjoyed talking to her. Yeah. And she also shares, you know, the things we always love, like a day in the life. I mean, what does it look like to be a day in the life of somebody with four kids and a big job? I know we always love hearing about that, right? Yes. Day in the life is not going anywhere. We we cannot get enough. And she's got both kids in college and kids who are a little bit younger. So it's kind of fun to explore what that phase of life might look like in a leadership type role. Exactly. Well, we're all about the big age spread. At least I am over here. <laughs> We'll have one in college, one in elementary school. Yes, that is exactly how things will go around here. Well, let's go ahead and hear from Dr. Vanessa Carroll then. All right. Well, I am so excited to welcome Dr. Vanessa Carroll to this podcast. Now, we had recorded the intro prior to this interview, and we thought we were going to have the illustrious Dr. Barbara Thompson, who we are going to talk about. She is amazing, but we ended up having to do a little swap due to some technical difficulties. And when I started talking to Dr. Carol, I realized that she and Dr. Thompson have a ton in common, have faced a lot of the same challenges, and I'm so excited to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity. And yes, I'm sorry Dr. Thompson couldn't join, but I will do my best to represent the CMO dynamic duo, as uh, I'd like to call her, because she is amazing. Oh, I love the fact that there are two of you and that you have a CMO, CEO dynamic duo at your healthcare system. That is like totally amazing. So you are currently serving as the chief medical officer at the Mary Bridge Children's Hospital. I'm guessing that's maybe not where you thought your career was going to end up. Give me the whole, give me your career journey. When you thought about potentially becoming a doctor, did you ever see this angle of leadership coming? And like, how did things evolve? So what a great question and, and a wonderful, exciting journey that I'm excited to kind of share because it wasn't quite as planned out, but that's kind of how life works out. I think some of the best opportunities kind of just life presents itself. So I am born and raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, I'm trained in the Deep South. I started my career with a health system known as Oshner, and it was kind of in the wake of Katrina. So as Oshner was evolving as an organization who now is quite present in that area, so was pediatric hospital medicine. So it was an incredible opportunity. And why I like pediatric hospital medicine is it had the acuity. At that point, it didn't have the fellowship requirement. And essentially, it was I wanted a family. And I really wanted to be able to balance that time with my children and also feel challenged personally and professionally. And it was a perfect marriage, so to say, in the sense that I got to do two things I love. Now, was it easy? Absolutely not. I won't even pretend to, you know, make it sound like it was this glorious, easy thing. It required work, but having a great support system, you know, my mom actually ended up watching my children 
for a lot of their childhood. We did have nannies, you know, because there is call and responsibilities and my husband does work. So trying to balance multiple careers was challenging, but it was wonderful. And then I kind of realized after about a decade, this is awesome. But what next? My kids were growing up, responsibilities were changing a little bit. So I ended up going to work for United Healthcare in order to learn about utilization management. Because I said, the business of medicine, it's really something that I think as a physician, I kind of lacked. And I would have case managers come and say, oh, that doesn't meet. And I'm like, doesn't meet what? That person's sick. What are you talking about? They need to be here. And they're like, no, no, that's not what it means. And I was like, okay, well, I need to understand more because at this point I had other physicians and I really felt like I wasn't I wasn't representing their needs well because the complexity wasn't being identified as probably as it should have been. So I said, all right, this is my chance to go behind the curtain and meet Oz. So let me go ahead and understand how this utilization works. And it was an exceptional experience. And I think it was the first time in my career that I realized there are multiple perspectives, right? We're all coming together for patients and families. We're just doing it differently. And had, again, another amazing experience and said, wow, this is, I get it. This is an, a component of healthcare. But I wasn't ready to, I think, go down that pathway, which obviously is, it's a great one for people who choose it. It's exciting. You're learning a ton. It's just a different arm of kind of medicine. So then I said, all right, I've already done kind of the academic. I've done now some utilization. I need to get a community perspective because I don't, I feel like I'm missing the other side of the coin. So I ended up starting at uh, Kootenai Health in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is probably one of the most beautiful places on the, on the earth. So if you have not been, I highly encourage it. Exquisite place, incredible people, just an enormous opportunity. And I really got to see healthcare from a different lens as someone building out an inpatient pediatric unit there. And I can tell you when I actually met with the CEO, because I was like, why, you know, community hospitals, while they might care for a lot of patients, why would they want to invest in a, you know, inpatient pediatric unit when a lot of healthcare is shifting towards more centralized approaches And the CEO, when I asked him that very pointed question before I moved my family 2,500 miles away, which now included four children, two dogs, a guinea pig, and, uh, you know, a house full of things, I said, help me to understand the why. And he said, well, it's because it's the right thing to do. And I said, all right, that's who I want to be a part of. So I was there for about five years, just had an incredible opportunity. And I will say a community setting allows for, I think, more career advancement, more opportunities as far as exposure. And it was really kind of an exponential path for my career. And in turn, then ended up having the opportunity to go from a clinical division director where I oversaw hospital, surgical and some neuroscientists. So more adult focused, but still had my peds there that I had started with. And then made it to Mary Bridge Children's Hospital, where I recognize pediatrics is my passion. Kids are amazing. You're serving the future today. Really, it's been a great marriage. So it's been a journey, though. That is amazing. I have so many questions, and I also feel like we need to clarify a few things for our listeners, because our listener base is certainly not, I mean, we have plenty of healthcare providers, but there are all sorts of people doing all sorts of things listening. So just when she said community was a great opportunity for advancement, I think you're referring to versus perhaps like traditional academic medicine, correct? Exactly, exactly. Academia is amazing and it's so rich and it's just such a, 
it's just an incredible experience. Community is just very different. And I think if you're in one perspective, you have this assumption that it's very similar. And I will tell you, it outside of the medicine, it's very different, different resources, different stakeholders, different engagement. So both wonderful in their own right, though, and absolutely essential to healthcare across the country. Yes, very, very true. So I also want to start a little tangential here, but how old were your kids with each of those moves? And how did you handle that? And what did the conversations look like? Because you said your husband works as well. So like weighing the risk benefit of moving the family primarily for your role. So what a great question. So I'll start by saying when I was in med school, there was this conversation that if you want to have children, do it in your fourth year. It's perfect timing. You know, it's an easier rotation. So my husband and I did that. The part they forgot to tell me was that when you're an intern and this is before duty hours, congratulations, you've got a four or five month old. So that was maybe not the opportunity I had hoped for, but my daughter's amazing. I mean, they are incredible, just really has brought so much joy and knowledge to my, you know, just experience both as a mom and as a physician. So totally grateful. Along that line, the next one came during a resident, which fun, very, very fun, definitely had some complexity to it. But on this one, I ended up taking a little time off. And the type A personality in me felt a little bad about doing it because I was like, oh, I'm slacking. But in reality, that time with my daughter, Daisy, I, I would never trade. I mean, it was this is a marathon, not a sprint. So if you can capture those moments, don't feel guilty about it, you know, but if you can't do it, I understand. I mean, there are bills to be paid, there are responsibilities. But if you're given that option, that would be ideal. My two sons that came later, I was staff, so very, very different. I will tell you, it gets easier as you get older, so just something to keep in mind. And they've been incredible, and what's funny is that three of the four want to be physicians, so obviously the lifestyle hasn't been too terrible, but you're right, the moves have been challenging because for kids, that's where their friends are. That's where, you know, their relationships are. That's where their experiences are. And everyone has these expectations about where things are going to go for them. So when there's a change, there's a little bit of that removal of that opportunity. And that becomes hard no matter how old you are, young, old. So I can tell you on this last move, it was especially hard on my teenage son who's in high school. And we really had to work through that and explain the why, lots of conversations, but he's doing great. and. It's just, you know, I like I explained to him, it's another opportunity for him to learn how nimble he can be, how he can reinvent himself and just how amazing this country is because the experiences are so diverse. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And in some ways, it's true that it gets like harder the older your kids get. But what a cool experience for them to really experience two different places and like, you know, understand maybe two different cultures as they move forward in adulthood. So I can see that that would be kind of like a mixed bag. Okay, so now we're in the present. We've kind of taken you through training, one baby in med school, one baby in residency, and then two after the fact. And you did say that it gets easier, but then your body's also older. So like, you know, it's like a seesaw and you have to train one for the other. So that's super interesting. I had one in fellowship. I wanted one in residency, but couldn't get pregnant because probably because residency and then um, had the other two as an attending. And I do agree with you that 
the, the resources available to you when you are earning an actual paycheck. My husband is medical as well, so our paychecks coincided. It did make things a lot easier, but it was sweet the first time too. All right, sorry, that was my digression. So we're gonna actually take a very quick break and be back with some more questions in a moment. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Thrive Cosmetics. I am a speed demon when it comes to my makeup routine. I have approximately five minutes, or maybe three, between showering and starting my routine of getting the kids out the door for school. And so I'm always looking for products to keep things super streamlined and easy for my everyday look. Thrive Cosmetics for years has been part of that. I've discussed the Brilliant Eye Brightener before, which is a serious workhorse for making me look more awake. But lately, I'm also super into their Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. It's a tubing mascara that lengthens lashes and is super easy to remove as well, which is key because my makeup removal routine is just as streamlined. You can feel great about shopping at Thrive because for every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. So refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash bestof. That's Thrive Cosmetics, B-A-U-S-E, M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash best of B-E-S-T-O-F for 10% off your first order. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. This podcast is brought to you by the new film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn and with an incredible ensemble cast that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, Whoopi Goldberg, Rose Byrne, Rain Wilson, and Vera Farmiga, along with newcomer William A. Fitzgerald. The film is an endearing and often funny story about Max, a divorced father and stand-up comedian living with his father and struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When forced to confront difficult decisions about the future, Max and Ezra embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Ezra is an endearing and often funny exploration of a family determined to find their way through life's complexities with humor, compassion, and heart. Deadline calls the film a touching testament to the power of love. IndieWire says it's funny and moving. And according to Next Best Picture, Ezra approaches autism with heart and authenticity. Only in theaters nationwide, May 31st. Okay, we are back. And now we're kind of up in the present, as we said. And tell me about... How is this? You are now in like a C-suite position. You have moved up through the ranks. You've done kind of different things along the way that were really interesting. 
what has been the hardest part about that for you? And maybe talk about how if there are commonalities that you and Dr. Thompson, your colleague, have kind of faced together. As you said, you're like a dynamic duo as women in leadership at your organization. Well, you know what I really appreciate most about MultiCare and Mary Bridge recognizing the need for physician leadership. And that's where Dr. Thompson and I really are an incredible partner because of the fact that she has that commitment to the outpatient side of healthcare, while I have that commitment to the inpatient side of healthcare. And while they're similar, they're very different. And having that be acknowledged and recognized by an organization that says, no, no, this is so important to have physician leaders really deep in the operations, everything in the strategy, in the, you know, basically culture, in the finances. I mean, you name it. That is really a testament because a lot of organizations have just one CMO. And I can tell you if you're covering any kind of network or spectrum of services, whether that's clinics, urgent cares, off-campus EDs, micro hospitals, hospitals, it's really hard because you're going to be spread a little bit thin. So the depth of, I think, what you can assist with or support is probably different. So Having Dr. Thompson to really own, funnel her knowledge as a peds endocrinologist who really knows what makes clinics high functioning. And she's a machine when it comes to epic and smart phrases. I mean, like, oh, my gosh, her efficiency. So having her in that space is incredible because then I have this hospital medicine side that between the two of us, though, we come together on some of the specialties like surgery where they cross both sides, GI cross both sides. So how can we support them in each environment with clarity, but also advocate for what their needs are from that medical lens? So it's really exciting. And I have to say, I applaud the organization for recognizing it because there aren't very many places. I mean, CMOs are, are rather expensive and they require support, whether that's executive assistants or project managers. And when you start to double that, that can be a, a significant lift. So really, uh, but I, I have to tell you, if anyone's listening has ever thought about it, in, you know, a C-suite, highly recommend because the deliverables, the outcomes, just your physician culture is so much richer. Oh, I believe it. I mean, the fact that you're able to kind of have influence on so many people that are working with you to, to achieve aims and, and really influence the culture. And the fact that you have two women doing that to me is extra special. Has that come into play? Have you mentored women who are really, really happy to see someone who knows what they're going through above them? And also, I guess the flip side, have you come into any challenges when you are faced with maybe meeting with a boardroom full of mostly men? How has that gone for you? You know, I think that's a such an important call out. And I think it's really about recognizing you want to have people bring out the best, whether you're assigned female at birth, assigned male at birth, and really just harness their strengths and really promote them and figure out what brings you joy. Because we all have our own individual joy. And I think having that understanding that, in, especially in today's age, both moms and dads and aunts, uncles, they want to be engaged and they want to have time. And I think really being thoughtful of that work-life integration and meeting people where they are, because I'll be honest, I've recognized some physicians that I'm like, oh my gosh, you would be the most incredible leader. And they're like, you know what? I really appreciate that, but I'm not there right now. You know, my kids are young. I want to be present. I'm not ready to take that on. And I think that self-awareness is incredibly important because if you love what you do, 
it's not work. But if you feel like it's an extra pressure, I think it can be really hard. So whether that's a mom or a dad, I think my goal as a CMO is to recognize people's strengths, harness them in the capacity or to the level that they're able to lean into, and really kind of just recognize how special we all are, but also really acknowledge diversity is essential. Like if we have a bunch of people thinking the same way, we're not going to really move the needle. We need, you know, women, we need men, we need young, we need older, we need experience, we need brand new to the market. So I think I'm more thoughtful about not necessarily women or men, it's everybody coming together and really just kind of supporting where the individual is. And if you run into someone who you think would have great leadership potential and they say, well, right now I have kids, like, I guess I'm curious because like part of me wants to push back on that. I mean, there are some leadership roles, which in some ways afford you more flexibility, especially at kind of like the upper end. And someone may count themselves out and and need encouragement to be like, no, like we're in a culture where, you know, you still get time off or we cover for each other or whatever. Like, how do you handle that when you see someone promising, but kind of not wanting to accept responsibility, maybe not not based on facts? It's such a hard conversation, I'm not going to lie, because you want to be respectful and not aggressive because you also don't want to be in a leadership role that you are using your position to force a decision because that is a huge, you've missed that moment. So it's really about having, I think, the relationship and having the conversation and saying, well, tell me what success looks like to you. How can I support where you want to go? And I, again, like we talked about, healthcare. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Your career has different chapters of the book. And how can I set you up to be ready for that next chapter? So I feel like if I can start to provide little nuggets of knowledge and little projects or opportunities that they are specifically engaged in, then that starts to snowball and there starts to be more engagement. But you're right. The timelines are a little bit sometimes... uh, challenging because I'm like, oh my gosh, you could be such an incredible asset. Just really advocate for your patients, advocate for your department, allow this opportunity within our system. But then I have to pause and realize, but that's not what they want right now. And I would rather have them love what they do now and then love what they do in the future instead of you potentially run the risk of burning them out and having that sour experience of what leadership is like. So I think it's really just listening. And as a good leader, I think I can't stress that enough. The leaders I've had have all listened really carefully to what I had said and then helped me on my journey. So I would love to be able to one day say I was a, you know, a good leader and did that for others. And I love the idea, as you said, like even if someone's not ready at one given time, that doesn't mean that in two years, that same person might be absolutely ready and like to plant the seeds that like, hey, even if this isn't what you want right now, there you still have options. You still could grow in these different ways. So I like the idea of an open door. <laughs> well, and like you said, every experience is a learning opportunity. Even if you have some challenges or it's perceived as, oh, that project failed or whatever you want to call it. Oh my gosh, we come away with such knowledge. And you you learn to, you know, the PDSA, Plan, Do, Study, Act. It's just you were like, well, I'm not going to do that again. So 
even if it's not the experience you had hoped for, you can pivot and figure out on your next opportunity, what are you personally and professionally going to do different? So I think there's a win no matter what. It's just recognizing does that person feel the same way as you do? And I think that some of that's just experience. No, that totally makes sense. All right. Well, how about physician and healthcare provider? And we can even extend this beyond that, but like professional with a family wellness. That is a hot topic, especially in the physician space right now. I feel like I see a new statistic every day related to burnout or related to job dissatisfaction. I think I got an email in my inbox yesterday that was from Health Grades, and it was like seven reasons doctors are leaving medicine. And I, a lot of them had some value to it, like too much time spent on the EMR and things like that. So how do you think about these topics? What do you think some of the answers are? And maybe what are some of the specific challenges you've seen facing mothers in particular, since that is a lot of our audience base, women who have careers, who have families and really want to enjoy both? So that's one of those things that keeps me up at night. I'm not going to lie, because especially whether it's healthcare, whether it's law, whether it's engineering, whether it's anything on the spectrum. I mean, work is a huge responsibility. And I know we all wake up and we want to do our very best. If you don't love what you do, it is challenging. And feeling that you're not being successful in your job nor being successful in your family, I do think plays a really big role in how people just burn out. And specifically in referencing healthcare, we know we're going to be over 100,000 physicians down by 2034. I mean, that's an insane amount of money. So it's almost like we have to stop the bleeding. We have to be able to understand how do we restore that joy? Because, I mean, you look at a med student. I mean, they're so excited. They're so elated. They're just enthusiastic to take on this world of healthcare. And somewhere along the path, like you said, life kind of catches up and it's a little bit a little bit draining at times so the physician wellness or whatever professional wellness is really it has to be a focus or our workforce won't be sustainable and i think the ways we can do that is acknowledging where people are and giving them space to have influence cuz again burnout isn't specifically only because of the tasks or only because of finance or only because of leadership exchanges. It's all of them put together and it's feeling valued. So how do we help people to realize they are so valued? And and that's also being respectful of work-life integration. And I can tell you my work in my life has almost been like a sine wave. You know what I mean? Like there are times where I'm doing really well. And then there's times where I'm just fumbling the bag miserably. And I think it's okay to get, I would love more and more, especially mothers who are still trying to have this transition between being a hundred percent, you know, the family support to being a hundred percent the career person. I think that's a really hard bridge because so many of our dads are staying home and managing families and really trying to find what brings them joy in different ways that are different than what has been the traditional norm. And I think that is so wonderful because we can all find our happiness. How do we do it together and integrating that balance? And it's really going to be having a great support system. I think you can't do it alone. 
you need to have some resources to kind of allow you to recognize you need a break, either from work or from the family support. So how do we do that? How do we navigate that? How do we give that space? Because to your point, wellness is essential. And if we are always feeling like we're not where we want to be, that is going to lead to more challenges. And that's a hard way to live when you've come in with such a light and a brightness and you don't want to see it blown out in any capacity. So I think having that awareness that work hours are going to look different. Responsibilities are going to look different. Leadership is going to look different. How do we make this a sustainable journey instead of a fast sprint that just leaves everyone kind of exhausted at the end? So I think this is something we really need to spend a lot of time on and figure out how do we rekindle that spark, that love, and also recognize if you're really happy at home, you're going to be probably pretty happy at work. And how do we make that symbiotic energy flow? Ooh, that's an interesting concept. The idea that the happy you are at one place, the happy you or you probably are in another. I hadn't really thought about that, but I can think of some examples kind of on on either direction for that of people that I know and have worked with. And that's that's a really interesting concept. I guess because we're all the same person. <laughs> so someone that's that's happy at work and feels sustained goes home and is refreshed and is then can enjoy their family more. So that's super interesting. What about you? What do you like to do for fun? What recharges you? What do you do for your own wellness? So my recharger is absolutely my family. I mean, I have four amazing children. And like I said, they teach me more every day than any book or magazine I might read because I think they're just so authentic. And when they're sharing their experiences or challenges, it's so true to the heart. So any opportunity I can meet them where they are, I am there. So I have now become an anime enthusiast because that is where some of them were. So I enjoy watching anime with my children when that's one of their objectives. If I have my choice of what activities we're gonna do as a family, I love snow skiing. I love water skiing. I'm a huge runner. I also really just enjoy like a good book. You know what I mean? Being able just to sit down and immerse myself either in fiction or kind of even self-improvement. Like I'm a big Brene Brown fan and just really appreciate every time I come away, I feel like I've learned something professionally and I've learned something personally. So I cannot stress how important it is, I think, for people to acknowledge they need that recharge space, because if you just keep running at 100% on either venture, that's your personal or your professional life, you just kind of burn out. So that goes back to that wellness conversation is I hope people find that balance because there is a balance. And like I said, if someone finds it, let me know. I'm I'm still trying to find my own. But uh I think that's the fun of it all, though. It appreciates those moments when you do have that downtime and you cherish the people you're with. I love that. Can you take us through a quick example day in the life? Our listeners love this. They love logistics. I don't know if your kids are still young enough to need any form of childcare, but if so, definitely include that. Like we've had lots of interesting learning about different au pair setups and all that kind of stuff. So take us through a day in the life, although I'm sure... As a leader, they're probably all different. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have two daughters 
that are in college. So when they come home, the day in the life gets far more exciting, but I still have my two sons. So when I wake up, I actually have three dogs and we have an axolotl, which if you don't know what an axolotl is, Google it, most adorable creature you'll ever see. So get up, I feed our animals. I uh, then get myself ready, tell my boys, uh, you know, it's time to wake up because even though there's teenagers and they have multiple alarms, uh, I'm sure most of you realize sometimes those alarms are not effective. So I get them going and uh, my husband's a great partner because we kind of tag team on this one. He actually works from home. So we're super blessed in that respect that only one of us have a commute. And then I'll um, obviously get myself ready, head into work. Using my work starts with meetings. And I know that's kind of one of the transitions in healthcare as you go into leadership. You lose some of that patient facing time. So it's a little bit of a balance and a little bit of a challenge because I can tell you, like, for instance, Monday, I was clinical in the hospital. So my day was actually getting up and then seeing patients for about a 10 hour shift and then catching up on literally 100 emails that had kind of progressed over the day. So that's probably not the best day in the life to highlight, but that's a real day. Most of the time, it's going to be meetings, which, like I said, it's not so much about a specific item. It's a lot of exciting ones about what is our strategy in the urgent care space? What is our plan for outreach? What is our plan for medical education? You know, so it's a lot of really high level, but it really fills your cup because it's this hope of what is to come. If I'm not on service, I'll round in the hospital and really get a chance to kind of see the people that are doing the work. You know, how is their day going? Thank them for what they're doing, because this is, like you said, it can be a grind at times. And recognizing that we all have our own lives going on in the background, just acknowledging you are so important and I can't thank you enough for what you're doing. I think it, it's just that validation that many of us need. And then I'll go through and uh, I'll probably get a couple of text messages from my children telling me something super exciting that derailed the day a little bit. And then I'll keep going with some meetings and come home and see my sons. They'll tell me about their day. We'll kind of eat dinner. And I think having that time around the table, if people can do it, I know not everybody's able to, but if you can really focus in and have those real conversations, that time is invaluable. And then my boys kind of scatter off and do their uh, homework or uh, talk to friends while my husband and I kind of take that time just to kind of connect and, you know, kind of debrief on the day and also prep for what's coming on the next day. So uh, every day is different, but I really feel fortunate to be in a leadership role while also having children who are now reaching adulthood and realize that they're doing pretty well because in those moments, I'm not going to lie, as a working mom, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, how is this going to turn out? And I just want to tell your leaders and your listeners and your friends and your colleagues, it will be okay. Just stay strong. Realize it's okay to ask for help. More importantly, please applaud one another for a great job doing what they're doing and recognize that we're all in this together and uh, just be kind. That is awesome. That is so awesome. We're about to close, but one last thing, and I know you're not a regular listener, but we do always have a love of the week. So I will go first. I'm going to share mine in your honor. 
And mine is my Patagonia puffy down sweater that I actually wore to soccer practice last night because it was like 55 degrees and I was freezing and um, that's cold to us. So I was inspired when I was in Seattle to buy one. And now I just wear it every time that I go anywhere slightly temperate. (laughs) So that is my love of the week. What is your love of the week? Oh, man. Well, so I'm right by Seattle and it has been raining. I'm not even lying for like multiple days. So my love of the week is my Columbia raincoat right now because it is definitely worth every penny that uh, it, it is based on because, my gosh, it is just wet. But uh, I appreciate, like you said, being able to show up as well as I can each morning. So uh, that's my love. <laughs> Awesome. So yes, rain gear is our theme for the week and cold weather. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Carol, for coming on. This has been such a pleasure. I feel very inspired. Oh, thank you. I appreciate your time and thanks for all you do in spreading this support because it is a team effort. Well, that was fascinating. Great to hear about leadership roles in medicine and what we can learn about that. So today's question is in one a version of one we get a lot. So This person writes in that she is interested in working part-time, was debating a shift to an 80% schedule. She says, I would love to just be off on Fridays and work a four-day week. However, Laura has said she doesn't recommend it. So can you share your thoughts? So first, let's get to Sarah's thoughts, because Sarah actually has worked an 80% schedule. So we'll hear from the trenches on that. I do currently work a 60% yes. schedule. Yes, a 60%, not 80%. And it, there's a difference. Oh, and I, I have done 80. That. I have done 90. I have done a lot of 97.3. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, 90 was like getting a day off every two weeks to podcast specifically. Yeah. So it kind of worked. But 60% has been, been great for me. And here are my criteria for when I think you can do a part-time job effectively. You have very clear production objectives. And you have very specific coverage for days you're not going to be there. I think if either one of those is nebulous, don't do it. Yeah. (laughs) So like examples that work, my example, I see patients Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. There's no expectation that I go to my inbox or do clinical work on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm lucky to work in a field where there's generally not any outpatient type emergencies that need attention before the next day. So this works well. And then if you're a shift worker, like if you work in the ER, you can take a specific percentage of shifts and work part-time pretty well because when you're on, you're on, and when you're off, you're off. If you are certain times of law, and maybe especially if you shared a position so that you were truly not on call on days that they were working, like you were, people knew they should only contact both of you and you aren't to touch your inbox on a Tuesday if you don't work on Tuesday, and you have like a lower billable hours goal that's proportional, then that might work. But when things get nebulous or there isn't coverage, I think you can very quickly get in trouble. And that is where Laura will come in with the rest of this answer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, in those situations where it is very clear that you are on or you are off, then it can work. I would say, however, that there are probably a great many people in full-time roles who are only working 80% of the time because they are coasting the rest of the time. And I understand that may not be a very attractive proposition, but the truth is like what people do in a lot of jobs is incredibly nebulous. And so how are you judging what 80% of that amount of work is? My guess is that 
in many corporate roles, you try to set something like, I want to be off on Fridays, but they're like, well, we have your biggest clients coming to meet on Friday. You can't be off on Friday. You're like, okay, fine, I'll do that. Or, you know, your colleague is like, look, look, we have something that's happening. You got to dial in for this meeting on Friday. Or you're checking your email because because you are, because like, you know, stuff's coming in. And if you don't see it, you're going to be behind on it. And so you wind up working somebody else's equivalent of 100%, only you are definitely taking a pay cut, right? Like you are taking a pay cut. If you don't know exactly how many hours full-time is, it is very hard to determine what 80% is going to be. And so, you know, some places are like, oh, well, we all work 60 hours a week here. And they don't. But you're like, oh, well, I've got to work 80% then if I want to work like a 45-hour week or whatever. No, no, don't do that because it's going to, like, they're only working 50 as well. And they're just claiming to work 60. And so you're going to work just as much and you're going to get paid less. So I think you're better off being in a situation where you have some control over your time and flexibility because it is often not the exact number of hours worked. It is how much control you have over them. So if you're like, hey, you know, actually, I'd like to go hang out in my kid's class on Tuesday morning this week, and you can make that happen, then you don't need a day off. You just need to like not take a call before 11 o'clock on Tuesday morning. And if you have work you need to do, you finish it up Tuesday night or something like that. The problem of trying to have an exact day off in nebulous sorts of jobs is like, well, maybe all the stuff you want to do in your personal life isn't always happening on Friday. Like, you know, you want to go on Tuesday, but then you're going to have to take time off for that. But the Friday is already, you know, it's just... You want a job where you have flexibility and autonomy, and then it's fine to just work full time and arrange your hours around life as it is. So anyway, that is my soapbox on it. And I'm sure plenty of people have had it work well because they have very good boundaries. But I think a lot of people are in situations where there are less clear boundaries. And so going part-time will not necessarily help you achieve the work-life balance that you're going for, but it will make you earn less. I would also say, you know, what are you using that time for, by the way, too? Because if you are going to do, a lot of people are like, well, we're so behind on the housework. The house is a mess. So I need to work four days a week. And it's like, okay, so you're trading off your likely higher paying work to do this unpaid, in your case, you know, work why is that? That's not, you know, you can hire somebody else to do that. Like, why don't you work full time and pay a housekeeper versus having this economic transaction that just doesn't make sense of like not being paid your higher rate to do unpaid labor that somebody else could do. Now, if you're going to spend it with your kids, awesome. Like that's a different matter, right? Because that is maybe something that you want to invest more time in. Or if you have a creative project that you are doing and you know for sure you're going to get that day off to be in that creative headspace. Again, that can be a great situation, but for many people, that's not the case. So make sure that you know what you're getting into. Yes, all incredibly valid. And even as someone who works part-time, I see I see all the validity in what you said. All right. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds. Sarah is interviewing Dr. Barbara Thompson about leadership in medicine. We will be back next week with more on making work and life fit together. Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together.
Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 